Thank you, Malcolm, and uh, thank you so much for coming uh, this morning. And uh, for those of you watching at home, um, great to be with you. And I bring the greetings of Highfield Church uh, just down the road. Um, brothers and sisters worshipping at the same God in a different place, uh, but it's uh, lovely to be with you uh, here today. Uh, I'm good friends with uh, uh, Owen and uh, thrilled that he's here. And uh, yeah, it's just a great pleasure to be with you now. And if you've got a Bible, it'd be really handy to have uh, that passage that Malcolm read for us, 2 Peter chapter 3. Open. I'm going to pray, ask God to speak to us from his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with two requests that you would speak and that we would listen. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Famous last words. Karl Marx. Last words are for fools who have not said enough. Leonardo da Vinci. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci of all people, wow. William Tyndale, open the King of England's eyes as he was martyred, burnt at the stake under Henry VIII. Well, today we're looking at the last words of the last letter of Jesus' dear friend, the Apostle Peter. Uh, soon after penning these words, towards the end of the first century, uh, Peter was put to death. Tradition has it crucified upside down. But the whole of um, the second letter of Peter has been written with two particular days in view. Uh, the first of those days is Peter's own death. So if you've got a Bible, in chapter 1, verse 13, it says the following, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So he's aware of his own mortality. And that brings an incredible focus to what you do and what you say, if you get the chance. I suppose this last year of the pandemic has brought the issue of our own mortality into sharp focus in a way that perhaps... For generations, our culture has held off. That's the first day in Peter's mind, his own death. The second day in Peter's mind is the day of the Lord Jesus' return, the second coming of Christ. Having died on the cross and risen again and ascended to heaven to rule, Jesus will one day come back in person to, to judge the world, to bring in salvation for all those who are looking to him and to, uh, to judge uh, this world. And that's the other key date that is hanging over the letter of 2 Peter. And uh, the letter's coming to an end, Peter's life is coming to an end, and that's the, the other big day. And in these last verses that we're looking at, in these uh, few verses towards the end of 2 Peter, um, really what Peter is doing is summarizing the whole message of 2 Peter. So if you've not read 2 Peter before, um, worth reading, but this is a great summary of the letter. In verses 14 to 15, that particularly recaps the teaching of chapter 3. In uh, verses uh, 16 and 17, that recaps the teaching of chapter 2. And in verse 18, that really recaps the teaching of chapter 1. So what we're going to do is we're just going to work through these few verses for the next few minutes together and hear what God has to say to us uh, today. And we've got three points, like all good preachers, three points, ready, steady, grow. 
Ready, steady, grow. We can, should we all say those three points together after three? One, two, three. Ready, steady, grow. Hopefully you'll remember those. Point one, ready, verses 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in the light of Jesus' return. Make every effort to live in the light of Jesus' return. In other words, be ready. Verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, we need to be clear what the this is, since you're looking forward to this. And the this is the second coming of Jesus at the end of history. So if we jump back just one verse, it says in verse 13, but in keeping with his, that's Jesus' promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. While this world feels like it's going from bad to worse, a bit like a caterpillar curling up into a chrysalis. One day, a renewed, restored, new creation will burst on the scene like a beautiful butterfly, the home of righteousness. And what a wonderful day that will be, friends. There'll be no more hospital wards, no more shortages of oxygen, no more policemen, at least not practicing ones, no more fighting, no more fear. You don't long for that day. Well, if you do long for that day, and I long for that day, a moment thinking about that day makes us remember that a place where righteousness dwells, well, we need to be ready for that day. You see, Jesus' return will not mean universal salvation. There will be a welcome into a new heaven and a new earth for those who've turned around from living for themselves and have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, having died on the cross for them. That will be the home of righteousness for people who've done that. But for those outside of relationship with God, who've never turned from living for themselves and trusted in what Jesus has done, there'll be, the passage says, the fires of judgment. Verse 7, it's pretty striking. Chapter 3, verse 7, by the same word, the, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. It's hard to say it, but there's no surprise that therefore Peter urges his readers and us today, in person, online, to be ready. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Here, Peter is picking up language from chapter 1. He said in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and verse 10, and verse 15, don't just glide through life. I hope you're not gliding through life. Like it's kind of a, just a free wheel downhill, no cares in the world, effortless kind of floating through. No, living in the light of the day of the Lord, the, the fact that Jesus will return one day, is not going to be an effortless life. That will require determination and focus and an awareness of this reality. You know, that, that takes incredible effort to live for the future, doesn't it? Our world is incredibly present, now focused, really focused. And in a sense, the pandemic has accelerated that. So suddenly this world has kind of instant messaging, live chat on YouTube, instant box sets. I was talking to my kids the other day and they were watching something on the, on the TV and they were like, can we watch the next episode? Was when, when we were children, you had to wait a week before you go to watch the next episode. You just kind of queue it all up and just enjoy it now. Instant Amazon deliveries, instant Deliveroo, bringing food to your door. It is going to take an incredible amount of effort to redirect our attention from the now and the here and now to what we do and to the then. 
to live spotless and blameless lives, says Peter. Which doesn't mean perfection, but it means a godliness where Jesus Christ is Lord, as well as Saviour. A life where, where it's obvious that um, Jesus is making a huge difference in our lives. Naturally, we would go that way. But we're living for Jesus now, who's died to, to pay for our sins. He's forgiven us. He's saved us. So we're going to live for him now, out of gratitude for his amazing grace, where my life and my lip line up together. Why the delay for Jesus' return? You've wondered that? Have you ever wondered, why, why doesn't Jesus come back? Please come back, we think. Well, this is what um, Peter would say, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Ah, the Lord's delay in coming back is the Lord's gift to the world. It's the Lord giving people time to get right with him, to realize that they've lived their life going this way, trying to do all they can, ignoring the God who made them, and they need to turn around. Repent is the Bible word, isn't it? And believe, trust in what Jesus Christ has done. They've got to do it, and the world, at the moment, the vast majority of our friends, family, Cardiff, are going that way, totally blind to God, totally blind to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, the, and they've got time to turn, and the clock is ticking, and the window of salvation is open. Fantastic, isn't it? But one day, it will close, and there'll be no more chances to come back and get in the right with him. My in-laws live in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the northeast of England. And every summer, um, we travel up um, to uh, the northeast as a family. And it's become a bit of a custom for me. And we do a family holiday, the whole of us. I'm married to Sally. We've got four children, ages 12 down to um, five. And we all go up to, the, to, the, to, to Newcastle and have a holiday with the, the in-laws. And in the last few years, we've gotten the custom of me flying my older children up to Newcastle for about a week or so before the rest of us catch up with them for the holiday. And it's my excuse to be a bit of a jet setter. I do it once a year. I you know, race the kid. We, normally what happens is you know, we get up at the crack of dawn on a Monday morning, drive down to Bristol Airport, and we fly up, um, drop them off at Granny and Grandpa, and then I fly back that day. And then I drive back to Cardiff from Bristol. So it's like a mad day. Um, but it gives them some time with Granny and Grandpa. And then Sally, my wife, and the younger children and I all drive up to Northampton where we have a holiday. That's what we've done a few years uh, running now. And a couple of years ago, um, uh, we set off at 4 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, with Ella Beth, Owen, and Barney, my three oldest uh, children. And we were driving. And, uh, and the, the sat-nav said it was, we, we were going to be there with about 20 minutes to spare. Fine, it's all good. Keep driving. Got to put my foot down through the lanes. The, you know, first thing on that Monday morning, got there. And I, I, I got there, and it had a, the sign saying the, the gate is open now. It's kind of the orange light on the, on, the, on, the, on the departure screen. So a bit of time, so we went into a shop, got some snacks, sitting down, go to the loo, have a drink of water. And then it says gate, gate closing. I'm thinking, okay, well, we need to start heading across to the gate now. It, it, it's fine. And so it says, last call. So off we start walking. And then, and then we got there to the gate, and it was very quiet. So gate eight, Newcastle. What we like, what's going on? We got there, and uh, they said, oh, oh, the gate has closed, sir. Oh, the gate's closed. Come on. Yeah, well, I'm here with my three children at that, at that stage. I think there were 10, eight, and six. Yeah, granny and grandpa holiday. Could just come through. The gate is closed, sir. 
I've got my, I've got my passport, I've got my card. Look, we've, we've just come through. You know, there was, the gate has closed us. So I think this is, re- this is going badly, and the kids are looking up at me. Daddy, fix this. Um, I can fix everything. So I, I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Please, please. The gate has closed. Please, please, please. Look, three, and they're, they're crying. I'm not kidding. They were crying here, looking up to me, and I'm like, we'll do it. Please, 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 please. No one has gone. They're all down there. Please, can we come through? This is EasyJet. The gate has closed, sir. You cannot come through. So with my tail between my legs and three weeping children, we walk back kind of into the departure lap. And the gate, I'll find another ticket. Extortionately expensive ticket. So, so uh, we got back into the car, and I drove them to Newcastle instead. One day, the gate will be closed. And at that point, please, please, can I come in? The gate is closed, sir. You've got to be ready. <laughs> There'll be no kind of winging it, spinning it, trying to get yourself around, finding your back route. No, there's no drive up to heaven. You've got a window. Make every effort to live in the light of Jesus' return. The Lord Shaftesby once said, I do not think I've lived in the last 40 years a single conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. Wow. I wonder, does the return of the Lord Jesus affect your marriage, your friendships, your habits? Point one, be ready. Point two, be steady. Be on your guard for people who twist the Bible. Be on your guard for people who twist the Bible. This is where Peter goes. Interesting where he goes. It's verses 16 and 17, particularly the concern of chapter 2. Point one was to do really with ethics and morality. Here, to do with our convictions. And Peter is saying that rather than the spiritual threat that you might face in your life, we all face spiritual threats, rather than that threat coming from outside in the wide world, our local culture, outside the walls of the church, Peter envisages that the biggest threat to his readers is going to come from inside the walls of the church. Can you believe it? So, Peter warns us, don't be deceived. This very dangerous reality of false teachers is a real present danger for the Christian church. And if you want to read chapter 2, you'll see it much more clearly. Um, And what's so, so dangerous about false teachers, says Peter, is that they do their business with an open Bible in their hand very often. And that's what's really scary. So it says, verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. And then you get this really amazing insight into Peter's relationship with Paul. It says in verse 16, he writes the same way. That's Paul writes the same way in all his letters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Wow, what do we get from what Peter is saying about Paul here? We're learning four things. We learn Peter thinks Paul's teaching is a consistent teaching. He says he writes the same way in all of his letters, that God's delay in sending Jesus back is, is to do with wanting us to be saved. And that's, that lines up with Paul's teaching all the way through. So don't go thinking, oh, well, Paul says that, but then he says that, so we've got to kind of, it, it's contradictory. No, it's consistent. It's a challenging uh, word. 
I love this bit. He says, uh, his letters, Paul's letters, contain some things which are hard to understand. I'm glad it, was, it wasn't just me. I read Paul's letters sometimes. I find some things that are hard to understand. Well, Peter thought it the same too. It's consistent teaching. It was challenging teaching. But it's a manipulated teaching. Listen to this. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Ah. Interestingly, you know, it, it wasn't just in, in today's era where people open the Bible and say, oh, when, when, when Paul says that, he doesn't, of course, mean that. He means this, and they twist the Bible. And they make the Bible sound like he's saying this, but actually he's saying that. Obviously, Paul is writing the first century context. It can't possibly mean that. Consistent teaching, challenging teaching, a manipulated teaching, and an inspired teaching. That's the, the last thing that we'll note here. It's inspired. Uh, they distort, Paul, uh, Paul write, uh, Peter writes, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. In other words, when Peter says that, he is placing Paul's writing on the same line and the same level as the other scriptures, which in New Testament Jewish Bible times was seen as God's inspired word, the Old Testament. All scriptures God breathed. And Peter says, Paul's writing on the one hand, is the same level of authority, the same level of inspiration as the other scriptures in the Old Testament. And so he says in verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you've been so forewarned, be on your guard, stay steady, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Friends, if there's one thing worse than being a wolf in sheep's clothing, do you know what it is? Being a wolf in shepherd's clothing. Peter is warning against these false teaching. Why do false teachers open the Bible? Why do they teach the Bible? You see, it would be much easier for a false teacher just to kind of close the Bible, ignore the Bible, and just say what they want to say, kind of pontificate about their own views about reality. And they never referred to the Bible. They never kind of opened it at all. Why, why don't false teachers do that? Ah, I think Peter would say, because no one would believe them. If you're, if you're a churchgoer, you're used to having the Bible open, aren't you? You want the Bible, Bible to be read. You want Bible words, themes, ideas said. When, when the Bible is on display and uh, Bible words are used, people use kind of Christian terms like evangelical or Presbyterian. You think, oh, well, that, that, that's, that, that's kind of got all the, kind of the right sounds about it. Our, our guard goes down when, when, when people use some of the words we like. We trust them. It's like someone, though, has hacked into a sat-nav. Uh, maybe uh, they hack into the sat-nav on your telephone and edit the road map so that uh, you think you're relying on it to tell you to go left, but it actually is saying go right. And it, it's using these tools that point you in the wrong direction. How devastating that would be. I think one of the, the biggest areas this happens is in the area of sexual ethics uh, today. And it's been in the news in the last couple of months, you may have seen this, where we've heard people claiming to be Christians, some even claiming to be evangelicals, quote-unquote, saying that, well, look, everyone knows that when Paul said marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life, he was very much a product of his culture and his time. And that, again, what we've heard in the news is that churches that hold to and teach are a traditional sexual ethic where, yes, everyone is welcome, whatever your background or orientation, yes, everyone's welcome, but, but yes, there are unmistakable lines that loving the Lord Jesus will mean we, we mustn't cross those lines, and we need those lines down. That kind of teaching we've heard in the news recently, that kind of teaching is harmful. 
we're being told. And uh, it harms uh, minorities. It needs to be banned. And any kind of therapy that does that, and praying for people who, who, uh, who uh, experience these things, uh, needs to be banned in any and every form. Now, wow. It was quite powerful, those kind of arguments. Now, this isn't the form to go into that, but what does Peter say in verse 17? He says, that kind of teaching will carry people away by the error of the lawless, and, and might lead to people falling from their secure position. Now that does not mean, don't fear, it's not saying that someone's salvation is suddenly at stake and you're going to lose that. I don't think that's the case. I think, I believe passionately that Jesus in John 10 said that no one could snatch his sheep from his hands. So we are kind of safe with him, but I think rather it's, it's Peter saying that the Lord very often uses the warnings to keep us on the straight and narrow as well as his great promises. So he said, be ready. Live your life with an awareness that one day the Lord Jesus will return and stay steady. Be on your guard for people who twist the Bible. That's his second point. And here's his third point and our time is almost done. Ready, steady, grow, grow. Healthy Christians are increasingly shaped by God's grace. Healthy Christians are increasingly shaped by God's grace. 2 Peter concludes as it began. Chapter uh, 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. If physical development and growth are the vital signs of a, of a healthy child, then spiritual development and growth are the vital signs of a healthy Christian. Our youngest child, no, when he was a little baby, he just wasn't putting on any weight. He was, I think, in the, the second percentile. So if you found 100 babies, 98 of them would be healthier and heavier than he was. And we were a bit worried, and he seemed very, very skinny and gaunt. But you know, if you meet him now, he's five years old, and he'll crunch into you if you, if you don't get out of the way. So he's absolutely fine. But for those years, we were worried because he wasn't growing. And so the question is, are you growing are you growing as you anticipate the return of Jesus Christ? In chapter 1, Peter explained the kinds of areas we might grow in. We don't want to be like spiritual Peter Pans who never grow and have a kind of Sunday school level faith which never develops. No, Peter says, grow in your faith and add to faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control. Self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, Godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Are you growing, friends? If you were to bump into someone a year after today, would you hope they would say to you, you know, you, you've not changed a bit. Sometimes you, you bump into someone, don't you? you? Maybe you've not seen them for the whole year. You think, oh, wow. And you, you look at them and think, crumbs, you, you've not, you, you know, locked down hair. You, you, you look a bit different from the last time I saw you. Imagine bumping into the Lord Jesus a year from now, or five years from now. One of the worst things that the Lord Jesus could say to you is, you know, <laughs> you've not changed a bit. He wants us to grow in grace and in the knowledge and love of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we do, it won't be to us who receives the glory, it will be him. To him be the glory both now and forever. So we've seen three things. Ready, steady, grow. Be ready. Make every effort to live in the light of Jesus' return. Be steady. Be on your guard for people who twist the Bible. 
so pleased that Owen is your pastor. He doesn't twist the Bible. He's a faithful gospel teacher of God's word. And grow. Healthy Christians are increasingly built up by God's grace. So where are you growing? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's have a moment of quietness and then I'll pray.